Welcome to China Tech Talk, the weekly discussion of startups and technology here in China. I am John Artman, joined as always by Matthew Brennan, founder of China Channel. All right, so before we get into this week's topic, I just want to give a quick plug for our newsletters. They're a great way to keep up to date on everything that's happening with technology in China. To sign up, just go to technode.com/newsletters. Also, if you enjoy this episode, if you enjoy our podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review on iTunes. It's a great way to make sure that we come at the top of the results when people are looking for technology in China-related podcasts on the podcast app. Thank you so much. Plugs over. All right, so this week we're talking a little bit about TikTok. TikTok had massive success this year, but of course, with massive success also comes uh, the detractors. In particular, what's been happening in India, some of the flack that they've been getting there, as well as some of the flack. Uh, I think even more importantly in the United States. But the thing is. TikTok, ByteDance, it's actually a really fascinating company. So we thought that this week we would take a look at uh, a bit, do a bit of an update on the company, on what, on how they're doing, but then also look at some of the issues that they've been having um, outside of China. Yeah, exactly.、Um, I think we also did an episode on TikTok and ByteDance last year, almost exactly a year ago, where we dived into the company. For the entire episode, I don't think we've covered it too much since then.、Uh, and the title of that episode was "The Next Facebook Will Be Chinese." I think it was. So it's a bit of a controversial topic, but it, I think it's also interesting to、uh, to take a look back at how our thinking around this area has changed over the last year, and how how TikTok and ByteDance have progressed、um, in this year. I think looking back on what we talked in that episode,、uh, the main Uh, two things was, you know, number one, Bike Dance is a is a very、uh, got a very bright future. We believe it's you know、uh, the new B and in the BAT、um, as it were. It's really on a sort of level of of being a new sort of giant in the in the internet tech space, and that eventually、uh, Bike Dance and especially TikTok will come to compete with especially Facebook, but also.、Um, Potentially Google in terms of、um, advertisement dollars、um, outside China.、And、I think basically that the the arguments we made there、um, have all played out pretty similar to how we、uh, predicted they will. We're at a stage now where I think a year ago us saying that、um, on this podcast for an international audience,、uh, not too many people were, were were saying that. I think today there's a consensus.、Um, Amongst global media,、um, amongst、um, industry watchers all over the world, that yeah, ByteDance is、um, a, you know a giant, and they've yet to IPO.、Um, they, they, <laughs> their last valuation was what seventy five billion. Seventy five billion.、Um, yeah. I, right, that was the last one when SoftBank、uh, put in some money,、mm. and、uh, I think it's definitely. Uh, my gut feeling is it's it's going to be the next valuation. Whenever that comes, will be it will be over the hundred million mark,、mm. um, probably uh, considerably over the hundred million mark. I would guess. I mean, they've they've really、uh, in the past year made a lot of progress with internationalization of、uh, you no know, predominantly TikTok, but also they've got、um, apps like Lark 
uh, that they're putting a lot of effort into and are also doing quite well. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a company. It's it's one of the most exciting companies in the internet and technology uh, space globally, w- without a doubt, and uh, has the potential to to be on the same scale as as a Facebook eventually. Although that will take you know about three four years to play out. I feel it's still in the early days of you know in terms of making money outside China, they're still you know not very far away from from where they will be eventually. Yeah, but it's interesting. I mean, because, you know, obviously, uh, platforms like TikTok, Douyin, Toutiao, you know, speaking of making money, I mean, ads are, are a big, big part of that. But, you know, the killer, the killer monetization model in China, at least, has been uh, e-commerce, right? I mean, I think the, the textbook case at this point is, uh, apps like, uh, Xiaohongshu, you know, started off as kind of a, a social network kind of content platform. And the, then the way that they really were able to, to monetize was by allowing their, their content creators to also sell products through Xiaohongshu, um, and then take a cut of those, those transactions. And so, you know, there, there have been some, um, some rumors that, uh, ByteDance is looking into a- incorporating more e-commerce into their, uh, into their platforms, both in China and, and outside of China. And then also there, there's some talk about them, uh, also creating like an ads platform, uh, for, uh, app developers, which is actually super, super interesting because the, one of the big, probably the biggest strength of ByteDance. I mean, number one, they are an AI company. I tend to think of them kind of, you know, we talked about them and, you know, previously kind of as, as a Facebook. In terms of the product, it's definitely very, very similar to Facebook and, you know, Facebook should be worried about them. But then I feel like almost as a, as a, as a, as a company culture, it's almost more similar to, to, to Google. I mean, Facebook, of course, is, is also, you know, uh, a company of engineers, but, uh, but the, the, the amount of experimentation, I think that, uh, that, that ByteDance does and the amount of emphasis they, they, they place on their technical backend, I think reminds me a little bit more of Google. Anyway, I'll just leave that there. But, you know, looking at it, okay. Uh, let me let me add one point. There, yes, please. So, we've been doing some research around um, ByteDance uh, in the past couple of months for a project, and my impression a couple of months ago was that the if, if you ask me what is the core competency of ByteDance, you know, what what are the what defines this company, um, I would have said, yeah, AI algorithmic uh, content recommendation would be the core competency. Today, I'm less sure. Like after speaking to a lot of uh, people in the industry and, and doing our own research, I found that a lot of people are very skeptical about ByteDance's technological su- superiority. Interesting. If we had to, if we had to, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, exactly. Quite interesting, right? Like that's, that's the sort of perception around them. Oh, that's the, that's their core competency is AI. The, the more people I spoke to who actually were, you know, I, who I respect their opinion within the industry and 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 should know more than I do. Where um, well, actually, this company, I don't think that I think that's talked up a lot more than than actually it should be. Hmm. That they're, they're not they're not uh, they're, they're not they're not weak in that area, but it's not that they're doing anything that amazing. They felt that the uh, if if ByteDance does have a core competency, um, what came out of the conversations it was that core competency is growth hacking, <laughs> and uh, that they're that's what they 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 do better than anyone else. So uh quite interesting. I I didn't expect that before we we came in and started speaking to people. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, so 
Yeah, I, I think I think that I think that there's there's room there's room for that. But then you know, but if you look at you know what what their products are, it's still it's all based upon AI. Right, it's all based upon that 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 recommendation engine, which is one of the things that they're going to be that that they're going to be selling basically. So you know, I've been talking with uh, with with a few different people, and it sounds like ByteDance is working on um, basically you know a platform f- so that app developers can use the ByteDance algorithm on the one hand to for for recommendations within their own app, but then on the other hand to also serve ads. Inside their 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 apps as well, and then using using ByteDance's um, recommendation algorithms, basically, you know, sending sending data to to ByteDance, and then ByteDance will basically kind of you know compute as a service like a cloud service, uh, take that data, apply its algorithm, and then and then send back uh, the output to uh, to to the application itself, which I think is 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 really interesting, you know. Uh, on the one hand, kind of looking at you know, ByteDance is uh, diversifying their their revenue streams. They are, but then, but then also they are leveraging something that uh, that they've they've, they've spent a lot of work on, right? And so I think we can kind of put that put the uh, whether or not their you know their core competency is, is is AI or growth hacking or or whatever. At the end of the day, you know everything they do is powered by this artificial intelligence or this machine learning algorithm. And so by you know by selling that by selling that as a service, that's 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 super interesting. I think. Yeah, I guess it makes sense. I mean, they're they're known for having um, pretty strong uh, what they call jongtai, um, like a mid level. I don't even know how to say that in English. What do you call jongtai? Like a mid level platform. Like basically, all of their apps share the same sort of back end technology. So that means that they're able to um, you know unify the data for an individual user across multiple platforms. So if you log into uh, like uh, watermelon video, like Seagrass Out Shipping, um, and you use the same ID as you've used on on something like Douyin, this is something I discovered. I'm just thinking of personal experience. Like I started using uh, watermelon video just to check it out, which is also a a bite dance uh, video platform is actually quite a quite successful one but uh before i logged in with my id on that you know, the videos i was seeing on there were were not tailored to my preference but as soon as i logged in with my id that i'd been using for you know uh, for over a year on do yin's <laughs> going back to the stream the the content was completely different and was completely tailored to my preferences so they're through the sort of mid level platform they're sharing that 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 user ID across all of their um, uh, app ecosystem. And then uh, also the recommendation algorithm and, like you say, the advertisement products, I think, are also uh, there's, there's um, technology that's shared there. So this is something that, that um, Tencent was criticized for last year a lot, right? Like they don't have this this tie, they don't have this mid-level platform of sharing data and, and, um, and, and things like uh, algorithm recommendations between uh, between their different products between their different apps uh, but but ByteDance does um, and then also you know it's one of the interesting things now is uh, with TikTok getting so much criticism outside China especially in the American market there it is true that uh, TikTok and Douyin share the same technology stack yeah. when, uh, from the back end yeah. so um, when they when when, pe- when journalists want to write you know uh, oh you know the TikTok's controlled from Beijing, et cetera, et cetera. There is some degree of truth in that. 
because TikTok is sharing from a back-end technology. All of that's built out from Beijing as a sort of standardized platform that is you know, shared amongst a family of apps. So um, TikTok, uh, the code and, and a lot of the uh, stuff that's, you know, it's unavoidable that it will have a, a strong link with the team back in Beijing. And <laughs> there's not that that's because of the way that whole the whole company set up. I don't think I, I think that's exaggerated and it's sort of like called out by people without really understanding. Uh, it doesn't matter if the um, algorithms are are. are are shared across multiple apps. I think what, you know, the content moderation, I think, is what people are concerned about. And that, you know, happens uh, in a, on, on servers outside China with, you know, people who are, you know, uh, technically, according to ByteDance, um, not influenced by anything that happens in China. And so, so that's a quite a separate issue. Um, but there, there, you know, there is a, a point to be made about the TikTok and Douyin sharing um, a lot of the backend infrastructure. Yeah, exactly. But before we get into some of their some of their uh, challenges outside of China, I do, you know, you know, it's, I think it's really easy with a company like TikTok to, or excuse me, like ByteDance to focus on on their successes. But there's there's one product, uh, Matt, that you and I talked about just after launch. Up until now, has nothing's really happened with it, and that is uh, Duoshan. Their their a social network that they tried to to build out. Basically, from what I understand, because I never really used it and I've never really used uh, Snapchat, but basically, you know, Duoshan was very very similar to to Snapchat. But you know, and 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 so for for ByteDance, I mean, what's important to remember, Matt? I mean, you were talking a little bit about um, uh, using the the watermelon video, but the thing is, like, if you go into Douyin today and ByteDance doesn't know who you are, they have no past uh, records of you. They're going to be building up user profile based uh, only on your behavior within the app. And so, you know, unlike Facebook or or other social networks, they really had very very few uh, social signals uh, that they were getting from their users. I mean, on Douyin there there are some social features, but it's not it's not, you know, it's not built as a uh, as a social network necessarily. And so in order to uh, to get access, let's let's say to your social graph, they launched uh, Duoshen earlier this year. Oh man, that was it feels like such a long time ago. This this year has gone by so fast. And they launched it to huge fanfare. I mean, it was a big big deal. And um, you know, I think that our our discussion uh, at the time was, you know, this it's super interesting. You know, definitely WeChat has uh, a lot of weaknesses, but you know, it was still unclear whether or not Douyin would be able to to compete or even whether or not it was a compelling product to uh, for for users in China. Well, you know, almost 12 months on, and I think that we can almost definitively say that it was not a success, that it did not take off. And I think it's just so interesting as well because, you know, a lot of their products, you know, like Toutiao, for example, um, even Douyin and most definitely Lark, uh, these have all been relatively low key. You know, they've uh, released the app. They've done some some marketing, but you know, with Duoshan, what they did was they had this huge kind of announcement. They had like a like a release ceremony and a launch ceremony and all this stuff. They made a huge huge deal of it uh, here in China, and then it never really took off. Whereas, like you look at some of their other products, where they don't make uh, such a big fuss about, and it ends up you know with let's let's just call it quote unquote organic growth. I mean, it's obviously a lot a lot of it's paid for growth as well, but you know, a lot of it a lot of the growth like for TikTok. For 
for example, I mean, yes, it did start off with the acquisition of, of Musical.ly. So you get that user base right there. They did spend uh, a lot of money on, on, uh, on marketing, especially, especially on YouTube, funny enough. But at the end of the day, I mean, a lot of, a lot of the growth that they rely on is kind of word of mouth, you know, with teenagers and things, just playing around with it at, at school and kind of convincing, uh, their peers that it's, that it's cool as well. Whereas with Doshan, you know, it was just, they made a huge deal out of it and it just basically, uh, fell flat. I mean, Matt, have you, have you used it recently? I mean, have you, is, as, I mean, from what I understand, it's still available on the app store, but I think internally it's really not getting very much support anymore. Yeah. I stopped even caring about it, to be honest. I think at the time, you know, there was, we, I completely forgot about it actually, uh, because yeah, it was uh, just a big nothing burger, right? Like essentially, uh, at the time, there was multiple apps launched in the Chinese market to attack WeChat, and none of them really had any chance apart from Doshan. And the only reason Doshan had a chance was because ByteDance put a lot of effort into driving over, converting those users from TikTok in China over to the platform. Um, over to the messaging, right? So they actually integrated the messaging experience into the short video experience and really made like, some strong pushes there to encourage people to to convert over. But even that, with all of that traffic, um, it still didn't work very well. And I think, yeah, it's quite clearly been a failure and um, I don't expect it to make any further moves moving forward. And this just goes to show how, like... Um, you know, switching from categories, uh, switching traffic from one user behavior to another user behavior. It's really not easy. And as you've alluded to, you know, uh, ByteDance is not really a social company and their products are not based around social. Users typically don't add their friends on these kind of short video properties. Uh, and that's fine. The, the user experience is not about that. They don't really want to message people. There are social elements in terms of commenting on videos, um, but that's about it. And and that's fine. Uh, I think the uh, experience still works really, really well. And there's plenty of ways for them to make money. E-commerce and ads both work very, very well. Livestream is also works very well on Show, um, And there's also Livestream um, in, in Douyin as well. And that is... Obviously, nowhere near the level that it is on Quiet Show, but I think it still works as an experience. I've I've checked it out. And I've watched live stream on there, and I think uh, it's a it's uh, it, it's it, it's something that they can push further and 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 grow if they want. But uh, at the moment, I think e commerce and the um, and the ads are are more than enough. Um, so fortunately, you know, short video turned out to be a real cash cow uh, for 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 Byte Dance, uh, and that's something that why we can be quite bullish on on the company in general they don't need to do messaging in order to uh, become uh, one of the main advertisers they don't need to do anything social in order for their for their model to work and so that's uh, refreshing and a little bit you know uh, confusing for some people because we traditionally associate we traditionally associate social with these kind of content apps, right? That there should be a social element. I think that's simply because previously that's, you know, when we think of big companies like like Facebook and the newsfeed there or Instagram or Weibo in China, you know, these platforms do have a social element. You're meant to add friends and, and the accounts you follow will dictate the content you see typically. 
but you know this new style just goes to show that with with uh, content recommendation algorithms, you just don't need that stuff at all. Exactly. Um, you just need to use the app. Yeah, and so again, I think that more evidence to support my argument that they're similar, more similar to Google than the art of Facebook, in the sense that you know Google is definitely not a uh, a social network company. They tried to do, uh, they had Google Buzz and they had Google Plus. None of which, none of which took off. There was strangely a lot of, you know, a lot of opposition to both of them from, from users in general. A lot of people were just annoyed by it more than anything else. But at the end of the day, you know, that's also what Google does is uh, recommendation. So both in terms of its ad platform, you know, so with Google ads, you know, did you, what did you do in this other Google product? Well, then we can serve ads based upon uh, that behavior on a completely different and independent website that has the Google ads uh, plugin or, or a little uh, script right there. Uh, and then, you know, YouTube, I think is another great example. I mean, YouTube is 100% content. It's 100% content recommendation as well with very, very little Social, social. There is, you know, space for comments and things like that. But you know, I've never heard of anyone falling in love or meeting meeting the love of their life on uh, on YouTube comments. Whereas you do hear similar stories, like on in video games, but then also, of course, on uh, on Reddit um, as well, which I think is quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, that's a good. Ana- the YouTube is a much better analogy. Yeah, yeah, and and YouTube has been making use of. Uh, recommendation recommendation algorithms for you know a, a long time <laughs> and they're good at it and it's addictive and it works so yeah that's a much better paradigm i think that leads into uh, the recent talk of um i think there was a great article put out in the industry um a couple of months ago uh, from a vc if i remember correctly uh, really m- driving home the point that actually ByteDance is much more a competitor of baidu than it is Tencent in in that respect. Uh, that there's a lot more similarities um, when you look beyond the, the you know Baidu's in search and ByteDance is is not not search at all. It's it's uh, it's video and and, and newsfeed. But actually, both companies are about distributing content essentially. Uh, and Baidu and 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 ByteDance is moving into search now, right? They've uh, announced I think it's a month ago now that um, they're they're gonna have a drive for search in Jumro Totiao. Um, and this makes a lot of sense because um, they, they actually are both uh, essentially distributing content, right? Yeah, no, that that's the thing. I mean, I think that, you know, looking, kind of moving out to kind of big picture with ByteDance again, I think that, you know, that's that's really kind of one of the amazing things to to watch the the company. Now, I just want to make it make it clear that like, you know, I'm not like a fanboy of ByteDance uh to be honest. I'm very philosophically opposed to many of their products just as I am philosophically opposed to uh many of the products coming out from uh from Silicon Valley as well. But at the same time, I mean, you know, they've they've been such a disruptor in in the industry. You know, I was talking with uh, with Michael Norris, who's you know contributor to TechNode. He's been on the China Tech Investor podcast. I have we had him on our podcast. I don't, I don't think we have, but uh, but great guy. He, yeah, we have. We yeah. have. I can't remember. I'll have to go back and and uh, <laughs> your memory's getting bad. <laughs> it's 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 always been bad. But uh, but anyway, so yeah, I was talking with Michael Norris, and you know, because he's been paying a lot of attention to the consumer space recently, published a piece on on Alibaba, and you know, in particular with Alibaba, I mean, they are 
it's the it's the kind of like the Microsoft syndrome where you know you look you look you look at the the company and certainly the image that they try to try to project is that they are dominant in the e-commerce space that they have it completely locked down and you know every single double eleven it's always better than the double eleven of of previous years double uh, eleven of course being their their singles day uh, shopping orgy as I like to call it. And but 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 at the same time, you can see that you know while JD is not doing great, they're still they're still you know a, a bit of a threat. But you know Pinduoduo, for example, is an even bigger threat to uh, to, to the e-commerce space. And there's all these other kind of niche e-commerce platforms that are that are, that are popping up as well, all kind of chipping away. And then you look at and then you look at ByteDance. You know I think that when when Totiao first came out, I mean there was no inkling in anyone's mind that you know this would end up. Being this huge company that actually is, you know, threatening large, uh, large and ex- very established players. I mean, it was just a news app, basically. You know, I mean, it, it, you go in there and you just read the news. Uh, maybe watch some videos every once in a while, but uh, back then it was mostly three G. Four G had yet to come out, so video content wasn't um, wasn't that big of a deal. But they've since, you know, they've gone from, I mean, again, except for Dorshan and maybe a few other uh, missteps, they've gone from strength to strength. And they've done so pretty much independently, uh, as we've mentioned before, of the larger ecosystems. You know, you, usually a lot of the way, usually the way that uh, a lot of companies, their, their growth works is that they get, let's call it sponsorship or, or, um, they get the nod from the dons of, uh, the Chinese tech industry, usually Tencent or Alibaba. And then they become part of that ecosystem and they use that ecosystem. Uh, they use the money, they use the, the traffic and the users. In order to grow uh, on top of that, whereas whereas ByteDance has grown completely independently, and they they've created some some extremely compelling products, and so you know you look you look at the company, and again, I, I wouldn't say that I'm a huge fan of their of their products themselves, but uh, but you have to you really do have to admire what they've done. And again, all based on 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 recommendation. That's what Totiao is. That's what that's what Douyin is. That's what TikTok is. That's what you know, watermelon video. All that stuff, like you were saying, that that kind of that kind of middleware algorithm that they have has really been the impetus uh, for for their growth. You know, I was giving a presentation uh, a few weeks ago, and I used ByteDance as as a case study because because so with that with that middleware platform that they have, the algorithm that they have. One of the one of the interesting things is is that it's culturally agnostic, and so I think that one of the one of the big stories of 2019 has been TikTok's uh, success outside of China, and you know they're really the only Chinese kind of consumer facing content product that has actually been able to take off. One I think is the UX. Uh, the UX is. International, you know, there's nothing to suggest that it is uh, China specific. There's nothing. I mean, it's really not even designed necessarily. I would say, at least overtly, for a Chinese audience. I mean, it's just the it's very contemporary, very modern, uh, very extremely slick. That same UX is is almost what you can see, almost exactly what you see in uh, in TikTok as well, and then the algorithm. Uh, powering those recommendations are basic. It's basically the same what you find in Douyin and with TikTok. But then, as of course, as you mentioned, they do have moderation teams. I think, you know, in the beginning, when like India, for example, when they first went into India, I'm not really sure kind of what the thinking was, but it seemed, you know, that they they went into India with with uh, Hello 
and they said, you know, there there wasn't much of of local moder- moderation. They just kind of went into the market and just started to grow from there. Got a lot of flack because there was, um, I mean, on, on TikTok and, and for example, there were some issues with sexualized content. On hello, there were some issues with uh, religious and uh, racist uh, content. And it was actually kind of surprising because, you know, you think that they would have taken their content moderation best practices that they learned in China and taken that to, uh, to India from the get go, uh, but they did not. But then, of course, they do have moderation teams in India now and in, uh, and in the United States. And so I think that, that, that one of the amazing things is that they've been able to create uh, a product and, and more importantly, a technology behind that product that is culturally agnostic, which I think for a Chinese company to do is, is, is a much bigger deal, I think, than, uh, than people usually realize. Yeah, well, the, the content's localized. The product is, is standardized. Uh, I think that's one of the quotes from... Um, from Zhang Yimiao, uh, from about how they look at this, uh, you know, their expansion of, of multiple platforms actually for uh, and, and video, yeah, is cross cultural. Having said that, the um, uh, you know how it works in terms of content for TikTok is actually uh, and and not a lot of people know this, but you depending on which country you register your account in, the content is localized to that market. So TikTok actually has pools of content based on regions and language. So if you're a US user, you're going to see a mostly a, a content from America, but also from UK, uh, Australia and, and other in Canada as well, I think. Whereas if you're a, a Jap- Japanese user, you're going to see uh, predominantly Japanese content, right? That the um, actually pools of content are based around geographical regions and so it'd be separate for South Korea, separate for India um, and India might even be broken down by language I'm not sure because there's so many different languages in India but uh, the actual user interface and the app itself is standardized across the world and that that sort of strategy makes a lot of sense of localizing the content uh, whilst keeping the actual uh, platform itself standard. And yeah, the short video is uh, it's it's quite amazing to me. So another point uh, that I really want to bring up here that we touched upon a year ago, and and is still surprising to me today, is that it's so clear in the Chinese market. I think everyone knows, known for a long time now, for about two years, that you know, basically uh, short video is the killer app for four G. Right? It, it's 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 a real innovation in terms of uh, user experience, and in, in and it's very compelling. And although there's different models, there's the Kuai Show model, there's the uh, Douyin model, um, there's there's lots of short video apps. You know, Tencent has theirs. <laughs> They're ones that sh- <laughs> I know Weisha is apparently doing quite well now. Um, they they say, but I, I I'm still not convinced on that. And you can actually use short video in. It's been embedded into all kinds of different products and platforms by now, right? You can go onto e-commerce platforms, and they've got short video there for for directly for e-commerce. Browsers have it, you know, it's everywhere. Everyone's like, okay, I think every platform that, that wants to increase user engagement, the easy thing for them to do is to just have an extra, have a tab there with, uh, with short video. But the, the American giants and American companies have like only now recently kind of like woken up to this, this innovation, uh, this shift in, in how mobile content's being consumed. 
and their Chinese platforms are already out in the rest of the world. Um, you know, YY's got a platform that's doing quite well. Obviously, ByteDance is doing quite well. Kwai has been internationalizing as well for quite some time. And especially, you know, obviously, Facebook is the big giant in this area. But even beyond them, there's just, I, I find it really disappointing and, and a little bit uh, worrying that they're so behind on this trend. I think there seems to be, and I'm just put, putting my, obviously I'm not in Silicon Valley, I'm not uh, in, in, in that ecosystem, but I feel I can sense that the, up until now, there's been this sort of idea that, yeah, there's lots of stuff happening in China, lots of innovation in, around uh, mobile services, and, and there's crazy things happening, but they kind of stay in China and we don't need to worry about them too much. But I think short video is just the, the, the best example here of how moving forward, especially, and now with 5G service, 5G-based services as well, and in the, in the next few years, it's not here today, but there will start to be innovation there. This stuff is going to, those big innovations like short video are going to come out of the China market first, perhaps. And there needs to be more of like copy from China Right, like ten years ago, it was completely the other way. Where as soon as as soon as there was a new platform uh, come out for the U.S. market, uh, uh, if you think around the beginnings of the App Store, right when iPhone launched the App Store, there was just a flourishing of innovation there. When there were new ideas that came out of the U.S., they were immediately copied in China. Right, like you'd find like three months later there'd be a Chinese clone of those apps. Um, a lot of them didn't work, but. Uh, there was this consensus that we need to watch what's happening coming out of the states. There's not there's there's not this consensus that w- from the states that we need to now watch what's happening coming out of China and and copy or integrate elements of it um, as soon as an innovation does happen. But there really should be. And I think there will be. Uh, I think that that's that's uh, that's changing. That people's perception is changing. Yeah, I mean, definitely, and I would say it's already it's already happening. I mean, maybe not so much in in the states, but certainly in the developing world, it's definitely already happening. We can see that you know Gojek and Grab, I think, are great examples. Um, so, really, kind of taking the the WeChat model and uh, and applying it to their spaces. I mean, both Grab and Gojek were kind of you know Uber or uh, DD kind of kind of companies, you know, ride hailing. Mostly, but then they've since um, branched out into into other things, and so you know, food delivery, O2O, so online to offline services, medicine delivery, bike rentals, motorbike rentals, and all this different stuff, and and and, I, and they're they're also both um, exploring payments as well. Although the interestingly enough, the the payment space in Southeast Asia is um, ext- is very immature. There's still there's a lot of companies. Still trying to figure it out, and we're still not at that point where you know consolidation uh, makes makes much sense. So you know, it's it- one point about Sorry. Grab and Gojek, though, John. Uh, they, 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 I think they're mostly trying to copy the um, the WeChat model is basically impossible to copy unless you're Facebook. That's that's the only company that can that can copy, and, and they have been trying to do that with Libra and, and things like that, um, and and Facebook Pay now. But um, Meituan Dianping is the model right. uh, that I think is is much more uh, viable uh, for for these companies to to go. As this, if you're going to talk about super app model, right? Uh, Meituan Dianping's been doing really well since they IPO'd. I mean, they are killing it in terms of their share price. I think there's, and they're also um, doing really well in terms of market share for 
for food delivery and even bike sharing. I think they've uh, made some smart moves there after acquiring Mobike. And I think their strategy is, you know, pretty solid now. Um, so uh, they have really, um, they're, they're, if you're going to copy anyone, you copy uh, Wang Xing and, uh, and Mei Tuan Di and Ping here. Yeah. Uh, we should probably talk about them more on the podcast. I think we tried to get them on, uh, but we couldn't, right? They are really a, uh, a fantastic company. They're one of my favorites, um, definitely, in terms of uh, Chinese tech companies. Which is which is why we uh, we recently started a newsletter about them. So if you go to uh, <laughs> if you go to technode.com slash newsletters, <laughs> you'll see that uh, we recently launched a uh, a Meituan Dianping newsletter. Uh, previously, we were focusing on ByteDance, but then we kind of ran out of topics, uh, or at least topics that we could we could we felt comfortable going in depth on, and so we decided to uh, switch to Meituan Dianping. Which I think that Matt, you know, I completely agree with you. They're um, I mean, I wouldn't say that like they're like a super interesting company, but in terms of their ability to to actually succeed, I mean, as you were saying, they've done really, really well, and I think there's 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 a very good reason for that. And of course, funny enough, they started off as a clone. You know, Meituan was you know the group like a Groupon basically. Dian Ping was kind of like a like a Yelp, and it's since turned into something massively different, and uh, that you won't really see the likes of. Uh, anywhere else in the in the entire world, but yeah, I think that you know to go back to to the point that that we were discussing uh, just now, you know, something that you said uh, when we were preparing for this is that you know China, in terms of the consumer space, is where all the innovation is happening. You know, I think that it's like you said that it's two to three years ahead of of the rest of the world, and and I completely agree. I mean, you look at the the pace of innovation in. In Western markets is extremely slow these days. I think the golden age of Silicon Valley has passed as, you know, Google and Facebook have become more dominant, um, and, and other, uh, social networks, Amazon for in, in the e-commerce space have become dominant. They've also, they've also been able to kind of really lock down, uh, their spaces where, you know, Facebook is is continually accused of uh, copying product ideas from competitors, which they definitely do. Amazon is now being accused of doing the same. There's uh, there's some shoes called uh, Allbirds, which is uh, they're relatively cheap. I think it's like less than a hundred dollars for uh, a pair of super pretty pretty nice wool shoes. Why anyone would like wool shoes, I'm not so sure. But uh, but anyway, they're pretty nice. I've actually I actually was given a pair uh, recently when I went to uh, Slush in in Shanghai, and Amazon recently launched something very very similar. And so you know it does seem that the uh, the tech incumbents in the states in particular, there there there's not much new coming out of them. Amazon I think is is really kind of focusing on increasing efficiencies in terms of fulfillment and uh, in delivery. And Facebook I don't know. I mean they're just kind of treading water. They tried to launch. They announced their Libra initiative, but of course, you know their move fast and break things philosophy is not working very well. They've gotten a lot of pushback from regulators, and some of the initial backers for the project have begun to drop out as well. So the the future of Libra, I would say, is definitely um, up in the air. Whereas in China, again, particularly in in the consumer space, there is this kind of constant. Churning of new things, and new ideas, and and new products that that some some of course do take off, and some some definitely don't. But I've been at a I've been at a you know a few conferences the last uh, the last month or so, and at two of them in particular, there definitely was this sense of the center of innovation is no longer in the West. 
You know, you look at innovations that we're going to be seeing in uh, developing countries over the next 10 to 20 years. And a lot of those ideas, at least, are going to be coming from, uh, from China. You know, Chinese entrepreneurs, Chinese tech majors, uh, VC firms, they're all looking at uh, different markets, um, in particular developing markets. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's not so, it's not even so much about the money or the people that's going, but also just, just the ideas. Because these ideas that have been these innovations that have been developed in China because of the uh, the unique aspects of the Chinese market these are actually much more applicable in in the developing world than they are than, than any of the innovations that we've seen so far from uh, from from the West yeah I, th- I think a company like Facebook okay you just criticized them for not for not doing that much I, I would push back on that a bit I, I think they are doing uh, some ambitious things still, uh, for sure. Uh, and, you know, Libra is one of them. I think what they're doing around Oculus as well uh, with VR is very, very interesting. And I hope there will be a breakthrough with VR, um, you know, sooner rather than later, because it, it's clearly VR and AR will be the next big platforms and it will be awesome uh, when they do arrive in our lives eventually. So I, I think they are focused on that opportunity and that is very ambitious. Um, there's a lot of innovation happening uh, on the services level in China. I think that's where China's very clearly, like we, were, like you just mentioned, like a couple of years ahead. One of the things that's been exposed with all this rivalry now between China and the US um, is that actually China, in terms of the very hard technologies, the very foundational, uh, less consumer-facing technology, things like microprocessors, even things like operating systems still is is far behind the the US and that's where they really need to catch up and i think there's consensus around that built over this year one of the interesting things i think that both of us are watching is what huawei is going to do with their new operating system for example harmony or hongmei because china does is weak in that area they do need there needs to be a china operating system for sure. I think there's consensus in the industry around that as well. Huawei is probably going to be the company that does that. And so what the moves they make with uh, with Hongmei um, is going to be very important moving forward in the next few years. Uh, where Hongmei is today is, is probably quite weak. But if you look back on the sort of history of Huawei, you're going to see that they consistently enter markets late with very weak offerings, and then you know five years later start to uh, you, you realize that they've actually become very competitive, and their their products are eating up a very significant market share. That's that's what you know. When they entered phones, Huawei phones were not very good. Uh, today, you know, they're the number two in the world after Samsung uh, in terms of. Uh, in terms of handsets, same thing even with working with network equipment as well. So, um, yeah, there needs to be a, a big shift there in terms of building up competency around a very difficult core technology. Uh, so I, I, I think there's often the narrative in media around China, especially from, uh, you know, the big US uh, Wall Street Journal or whatever, um, you know, it's, it can often be that, a little bit scaremongering around, you know, China's rising up. Oh, China's got all this innovation. Oh my God! Like we, we need <laughs> basically um, people being over exaggerating around uh, what's happening here in China. Whereas um, Chinese industry people are almost the opposite, right? Where they sort of 
they're always talking about how, you know, the states is still ahead, you know, there's all this stuff that we need to catch up on. Actually, our basic technologies are very, very weak. Uh, where we're strong is really on the top level layers, um, if things like uh, mobile services. But this is actually, in terms of technology, uh, much simpler. It's more about business models and, and innovating in terms of user experience, where, where, where China has a very clear advantage today. Um, so I think that's an important distinction to make. And we shouldn't get over 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 bullish on China yeah. with technology. Still today, there's there's lots of areas where they need, you know, America's definitely far, far ahead. So, but, you know, look, if we look out in a sort of five, 10 year horizon, um, then we can be much more confident about, you know, China catching up and eventually, even in those very hard areas, maybe taking over because, uh, one of the, one of the things with, with China is, uh, and it's it's a obvious thing, but we you really do need to. Uh, I think people still don't put enough weight on this. It's just that the China markets, you know, multiple there's multiple times larger than the U.S. market in terms of uh, you know transactions, sizes, and people, and that really, really, really matters. Like. There's just so many, uh, you know, university graduates, engineers coming out of China that the U.S. really can't compete in terms of like numbers of people working on this technology. That's that that's that's just by far the the most important factor in the long run. Not you know in the short run, the, the, there's there's many things going on. But when you look out and, and see, okay, if as long as China's committed to this, the only way that America can really compete on the, on that level is uh, is actually to play to their strengths, which is their openness mm. and allowing people from all over the world, you know, talent from India or Eastern Europe or Africa, wherever it is, to come into the US. And it seems to be they're almost going in the opposite direction there, where uh, they're trying to make it more difficult for people to come to the States and, you know, for very talented young people to come and study uh, and then work and contribute to the, the technology sector. And that's that's kind of crazy uh, because uh, that's exactly the strength of America, right? Yeah, well, you know, politics these days, you know, that's that's that, that's that's the, the big thing. And um and that's that's one of the things that uh, that TikTok has has also been uh, trying trying to deal with is is politics. Like I said, I mean, like like we mentioned earlier in the episode, you know, they 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 got a lot of issues. They had a lot of issues in in India, and they still there still is some rhetoric from uh, politicians against against ByteDance. And I think that it's 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 a really interesting kind of situation because the the ecosystems between like the tech ecosystems uh, between China and India are beginning to to converge. There's a lot of there's a lot of Chinese tech companies that are active in India. There's a lot of Indian startups that are looking at China trying to learn lessons and then also uh, trying to get money as well. And there's Indian money looking to uh, to invest in China also, but then of course there is this uh, very long historical uh, tension uh, between the two countries, and so of course TikTok and uh, and some of the other some of the other ByteDance products, you know, they have had some some political issues in India, as I said, around over sexualization, uh, racism, some religious issues, but then also just fake news uh, around uh, politicians. My understanding is that they've they've uh, addressed some of those issues. They were in a lawsuit earlier this year, which I think they were able to. They ended up settling on that. 
you know, TikTok was actually taken off, uh, the, was ordered taken off of app stores for about a month, if I remember correctly. But then after they come, after they came back, they, they were able to successfully, uh, buy back users, essentially. And then, of course, now we're seeing that they're having some issues in the United States. And the issues in the United States are, are, to me, they're just kind of odd. You know, one of the, one of the big things, of course, is kind of what's happening in, in Hong Kong. Now, you know, you look, we actually, for, uh, one of the, uh, editions of our ByteDance newsletter that we did, so this was probably back in August, I want to say, what we, we actually looked at, what some, what were some of the different, the, the, the content differences between Douyin and, and TikTok. Now, TikTok is positioned as non-political, uh, content platform. ByteDance has done the, their, their best, I think, both in terms of moderation, but then also in terms of messaging to make it, to make it seem that way. Whereas Douyin, well, this is China, and uh, unfortunately, in a country like China, uh, it's it's difficult to escape politics. Uh, it's basically everywhere, especially when we're dealing with content. So, you know, you look at like Hong Kong related content on on Douyin, and it's very clear that people making content and posting it on Douyin and ByteDance allowing it to stay there, you know, it's not exactly pro Hong Kong. Uh, in in fact, quite quite the opposite. Whereas on, on TikTok, again, it's 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 non political. But then, of course, there was this issue with uh, the Houston Rockets. Their 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 general manager posted a tweet, which he actually deleted soon afterwards. But he posted a tweet uh, supporting the protesters in Hong Kong, and there was uh, a major backlash from Chinese media and from the Chinese government. In, 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 in many ways, I would say questioning the, the fundamental basis of freedom of speech. But at the end of the day, you know, he's a, he was a, he's a private citizen. He wasn't necessarily speaking on behalf of the Houston Rockets. But then, of course, the Houston Rockets and the NBA, they, uh, were forced to apologize. Well, I mean, they didn't really have to, I suppose, but, uh, but they did apologize. Uh, and and interestingly enough, if you uh, Ben Thompson pointed pointed this one out, is uh, uh, around that same time as all this was happening. If you go on TikTok, you can find a content about you could find content about the Lakers, you could find content about the Golden State Warriors. It was very difficult to find content on TikTok about the uh, the Houston Rockets, and you know there's been a lot of talk in Western press recently, especially around what's happening in uh, Xinjiang. The New York Times they released a massive leak, some papers from a massive leak uh, inside the Communist Party, kind of uh, shedding a lot of light on the thinking uh, that's gone behind what's what's uh, what's happening there. And as expected, you know, outside of China, there's there's been uh, quite quite a, a, a response to 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 what's happening there. And you know, so again, TikTok claims that they're that they're not non political, but then there was one woman who was doing a a makeup tutorial, uh, but then then in fact the makeup tutorial was actually it ended up being her talking about what's happening in Xinjiang and her account was was suspended. I don't know if it's been reinstated yet. And so this 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 raises a lot of questions. I think that in in the case of the Houston Rockets, I would say that ByteDance is in a position of trying to prove a negative, and the negative, of course, being that they did not uh, do anything uh, with with the Houston Rockets content. So. I, I wouldn't want to be them in terms of proving a negative because that's that that's impossible. Uh, them take them suspending this 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 one account, which was getting quite a bit of attention from political activists uh, and from you know people who are interested in in what's happening in Xinjiang. You know the fact that they that they, that they took down that account, I think, is 
is pretty incriminating. And Marco Rubio, even before this, you know, sent a letter to Cifius asking them to uh, investigate uh, ByteDance's purchase of Musically. And, and perhaps even, even rolling that, rolling that back, forcing, forcing ByteDance to divest. There hasn't been any movement from the Trump administration from, from that. But at the same time, you know, I have to, I have to say that, you know, they've, again, they've been very successful outside of China, but, you know, there, there is this real tension right now between, let's just say, the, the leadership in China and then the, the local uniqueness of, of other markets that are, completely antithetical to to what's happening here and some of the the content controls that that are necessary to uh, to actually run a business here. So, you know, looking at looking at their their prospects uh, in India, it seems kind of okay. They there's still some um there's still some noise every once in a while about them, but nothing too significant whereas it looks like the United States is going to be a huge huge challenge for them. Yeah, it's always been I think for a long time we've identified this as a huge risk. The U.S. is not used to having internet services that are not controlled by the U.S., right? So if we look at um, Europe, right, I'm from London. In Europe, most of the big apps and platforms that people use are from the U.S. So people use Google for search, they use Facebook for social, etc. But they're not European companies, and you'll see that Although there's a closeness there in terms of culture and understanding around social norms, etc., and with doing business, there's still a big conflict there. You know, the Google gets fined by the uh, by the European uh, Commission or authorities um, m- many times, and and there's a and there's a consensus that you know what Facebook's doing in the market. Uh, a lot of people are pushing back against that as well. Um, Europe is in a situation where they don't, con- you know, they don't control the companies that control <laughs> a lot of what people see, what they do online, and this is something they've been struggling with for for twenty years. But US have never had to deal with this issue. That what do you do if there's um, if there's a company that ha- controls a, a, a significant you know ship market share uh, of internet services, but it's not from your local market. One of the major reasons 10 years ago why Facebook and Twitter got kicked out of China was uh, after the Urumqi riots, right? There was um, a series of riots in Xinjiang and um, there was a lot of rumors that those those rioters were organizing on Facebook. And it became clear that Facebook was as a platform was something that could not be controlled. Facebook would not hand over data to the Chinese government around what would, what people were saying on their platform in private groups. And that's actually probably the biggest reason why they got kicked out. And, you know, saying that today was, uh, you know, there's so much more talk and awareness of this today. But 10 years ago, that was really a first uh, of, of, a, of a, a government saying, you know, we going to take action against a, a platform because we can't control it. And it's working to, from different standards that, you know, we feel are not aligned with the interests of our of our country. And that's exactly what the US is, is doing here. You know, the, there's concern over, you know, are uh, the standards under which TikTok is governed, uh, self-governed, given that they're a Chinese company? Um, is that really something we want in our country? 
And this leads into a wider sort of discussion over like uh, fragmentation of the internet globally. Uh, I think we're going to see so much more of this in the next decade. The internet up until now has been very open. We've it's been led by the U.S. globally. Uh, people tend to use uh, the, the U.S. giant platforms. That's changing, and obviously China's completely different. But if we look China aside, you know, you've got areas like Russia, which has their own internet companies and is also employing similar tactics. I think there's consensus in India that they need to be more homegrown companies, and it's a market of scale where they can probably build up those companies. Um, and there are, you know, very big local players in India as well um, who are being supported and invested by, you know, Chinese uh, companies or American companies. Uh, but all over the world, I think there's just going to be more, much more awareness that if if they can build up their own local services, then they should. Uh, Europe's kind of missed out on this uh, to a large degree, even though it is a, a sizable market. But yeah, why would you... Um, uh, the internet is not this thing that's done by geeks who um, are just uh, doing things in this virtual space that doesn't affect the real economy. Internet and the and and the everyday economy are intertwined in in so many ways now. And internet businesses are dry, you know, e-commerce is taking over traditional retail in in, in China uh, especially, but also all over the world. Every year, the the, the share rises and rises. Uh, at what point do you say that this is critical infrastructure and we, you know, we should be governing this and controlling this uh, locally and allowing, uh, a, a, a con- you know, allowing Facebook or allowing ByteDance to control what people see in your in your in your local uh, market? Is that, you know, you many countries wouldn't allow that for television, right? They wouldn't allow it for radio. <laughs> so why would they allow it for Internet services? Uh, of course, all of that goes against the idea of you know uh, the internet being a sort of free space where, um, in in many respects, it's very uniting for humanity. Let's uh, shall we say that um, we have platforms like Facebook that are truly global, and uh, you know everyone can reach everyone else in the world, and that's that's fantastic, and and that's really added a lot of value, I think, to. Uh, uh, to people's lives all over the world. And if we break that up and fragment that um, in the same way that China has, you know, that's probably not a, a great thing for humanity. But I think it's it probably will happen, uh, unfortunately. I think that the internet's going to start splitting up um, a lot more in the next decade. So that's my personal take on it. Yeah, and and to be honest, I completely agree. I think that the story of the next of the next twenty years is really going to be more and more of of this 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 fragmentation because, at the end of the day, the internet is is a it's a it's a, it's a technology. Technology is value neutral, or the reasons that it's that it is being used and how it's being used uh, can be used by anyone. You know, you don't have to believe in a free and open internet to, you know, build a business on or or do anything on top of the TCP/IP protocol. You know, all of these, you know, four G, five G. I mean, it's basically it's just infrastructure, you know. And so you can do whatever you want. You can you can apply any value system you want on top of that. It's just that the internet, TCP/IP, it was. Developed by uh, computer scientists and engineers who did believe in free, free and unfettered access to information. You know, they were. It was developed by Americans and and British people who believed in in this idea of of the free flow of information. And again, 
I mean, even Google, for example, when they, I mean, their their mission is to make all information uh, freely available. I think they're quickly learning that as a business proposition, that doesn't make quite, quite doesn't make that much sense. But then also for users of their platform, it doesn't always make that much sense, and they they've adjusted. But at the end, but but still, I mean, they're, they're, that was their fundamental assumption that information should be free. Whereas we look at you know China, uh, we look at Thailand, uh, we look at uh, Russia, and a lot of other countries, and they're saying no. Wait a second. This is not. This is not what we want. We don't believe in. You know, we don't believe in Thailand, for example, that people should be allowed to insult uh, the monarch. You know, that is uh, a punishable offense uh, in China. You know, it's it's they they believe that you know social stability is is you know a fundamental need, and so of course they they do their best to make sure that uh, you know big groups don't organize and that at, that all the power is basically uh, centralized uh, in with the government and and with the communist party. Uh, and so these are very, very different fundamental assumptions about how technology, uh, content, and uh, communication should be used. And you know, it's 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 one of those things where I think that for people who believe in democracy, who believe in freedom of speech, and a lot of these kind of uh, natural rights, as uh, as John Locke put it, you know, this has been a really big challenge because how do you you know say on the one hand we believe that people have the right to determine their own future, but then on the other hand saying, well, but how do we protect our own values at home? Uh, and I think that this is going to be a much, much bigger question um, as as time uh, moves on. But speaking of time, I think that we're basically out of time. Matt, was there anything else that you wanted to uh, to end on? No, I think it's fine. We've covered a lot and it's been a very broad uh, conversation, but I think we hit upon some important points and hopefully, uh, it was of interest to the listeners. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think I think that the, the, this episode ended up being kind of you know we've had some discussions um, offline, and there's been a lot that both of I both both of us because we haven't done an episode like this in uh, in quite some time, and so there's been a lot that's kind of on our minds, um, and this has been a great uh, a great way to kind of uh, get that out and um, and have a sounding board for that. But yeah, so we're going to end it there. Don't forget techno.com slash newsletters. Uh, you can find our free daily as well as our members only uh, newsletters, which includes AV, an AV EV newsletter, our just recently launched uh, newsletter focusing on Meituan Dianping, and then of course our uh, weekly newsletter, which features uh, commentary from yours truly. Uh, not not so much recently, but uh, but pretty soon I'll be writing again. And so also, if you enjoyed this episode, please do remember to leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, and if you have any feedback, you can find both Matt and I on Twitter, as well as uh, on LinkedIn. We always like hearing from from you, getting feedback. What are we doing right? What did you like? What did you not like? It really helps us improve.